This is episode 151 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Casey Barron. She is a speech-language pathologist, AAC specialist, and business owner, providing online education and business coaching for speech-language pathologists. She has experience in medical, school, and private practice settings as an SLP and enjoys helping people with complex communication disorders. to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, Casey. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk about this topic today because I think it really, it encompasses so much of what we do as SLPs with the communication part, with the swallowing part, with different, you know, difficulties and comorbidities mixed in. This is really, I think this is really so crucial and critical to what we do. And so I'm so excited for for us to dive into this topic, but first let's tell the people a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Yes. I'm Casey Barron. I am a speech language pathologist in Northeast Florida. The city I'm closest to is Jacksonville, and I am an AAC specialist currently working in private practice. I primarily work with children at this time. However, before I went into the world of pediatrics, I was in skilled nursing facilities, actually in Wisconsin, and I still continue to PRN at a local skilled nursing facility today. So I do love working with adults, and I'm so excited to talk about swallowing with adults and with pediatrics with you today. So I'm an AAC and how I do it all. (laughs) Yes, yes, how we do it all, awesome. Okay, so what are we gonna talk about today? Well, I wanted to talk about AAC and incorporating it in dysphagia therapy and how you can do both inside of the same session and really help our clients or patients communicate effectively while we are seeing them for a swallowing disorder. I love it. I love it so much. All right. So where should we start? Well, I was thinking I could tell you a story. Sure. Um, When I was PRNing in a local skilled nursing facility, being an AAC specialist, I, of course, am always bringing my iPad with me with all my AAC apps. I have my reps on speed dial. I am going into these facilities, you know, pretty prepared for what I might see. And I walk in and I get this referral. I get referrals all the time for swallowing usually. And I The resident I'm thinking of was a long-term resident. He had been there for many, many years and had complex, he has a complex body. So he has CP and he was referred to me for dysphagia. So he was showing overt signs and symptoms of aspiration during meals. He already had a modified diet. So I'm going in there to see, do we need to modify it more? Like, what are we looking at here? So I go in and I realized this patient that I hadn't really met before didn't have verbal speech and I'm thinking okay how is he communicating (laughs) how is he 
effectively communicating without a communication system. And I started to do some research into this, like, you know, my investigation skills come out. So I start to talk to the CNAs and the nurses and say, hey, you know, tell me about this patient um, besides the swallowing, because I figured that out pretty quick what was going on there. But I wanted to know more about the communication that was not happening. So I talked to them and they're saying, well, he does talk. And I'm like, really? <laughs> so I think oftentimes if somebody has like a little bit of verbal speech, all of a sudden that means that they don't need an AC or anything else to assist them. So I'm thinking, um, let's think about this a little bit more and investigate why we have verbal speech sometimes and not verbal speech all of the time. And so I did end up talking to him and suggesting, you know, do you want to look at my iPad really fast? I brought it with me. I'd love to show it to you and see what you thought. He immediately lit up this, this, you know, he's an elderly man and he's just smiling, so excited. He sees this device, he sees it speaks. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I think he, he's in love. So it was like love at first sight for him <laughs> with high tech AAC. And so then kind of goes into, okay, what do we do next, right? So like the whole, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I want to fund him a device. I talked to the, to the facility. They're like, we would love to fund him an AAC device. He has some funds we can use toward one. So we started doing trials and I told him once the billing had told me that he had some funds to use, I told him, I said, you know, we're going to fund you a device like this. And he literally started to bawl just cry. Um, I'd never seen him cry. Nobody else really had seen him. So, uh, you know, and it wasn't like a sad cry. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have functional communication for the first time yeah. maybe in my entire life. Yeah. So it was really emotional for me. I think it may struck such a chord that, that we as SLPs have this ability to really impact people's lives in more ways than one. Mm -hmm. And when we do step outside maybe of our comfort zone, because he had a complex body, so it's not looking, it's, it wasn't easy to say anything. This was not an easy case, but it was so rewarding in the fact that he had a functional communication system and was so open to having one and so open to using one and just, it was so effective. So that's like the story I always fall back on when I explain to people why we should should be looking at AAC and these facilities with these patients because I think that it's just such a such a need and they it's just changes your life. Yes, I think completely, completely. I think it's it's you know sometimes it's just so easy to get stuck in the mundane day to day stuff and then you remember the profound impact that we can have on patients' lives and yeah. Yes, completely. Okay, so where where do we go from here? I'm thinking that you know if we were to look at speech language pathology in skilled nursing facilities in hospital settings as not just looking at our caseload as swallowing or aphasia or language or cognitive communication and more at how can we provide supports, communication supports, whether that's low tech or high tech, then we would be meeting the needs of our patients more effectively. And it doesn't always have to be high tech. I think that funding is always a huge issue in um, adult populations with AAC devices. And it's not to say that you cannot fund an AAC device. There are ways that some insurances will fund devices, but it is something that is patient, state, country specific. <laughs> I've learned that every state is different with how you fund. But I do know in this population, it tends to be more challenging in general. So I would say that us learning more about AAC, how we can support people with complex communication needs while providing swallowing services is something that I would encourage SLPs to look into. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think so many people just think across the board, you can't get an AAC device in a sniff, And that's not the case. It's not the case. Sometimes it is. However, 
there are always solutions and I always look at it as this is a human right. So I need to figure out or this team needs to figure out, hopefully you have a team <laughs> that we will work together and figure out a way, even if it is low tech temporarily or until we can figure out a different high tech solution. I think that we really don't have an excuse of not using low tech at this point. I think we have paper and we have laminators, I would hope. And if you yeah. don't have a laminator, <laughs> you can buy one of those Dollar Tree pocket things. I, I don't, and dry erase boards are everywhere. So it's, there's really so many solutions we can use with adults. It doesn't always have to be high tech if that funding isn't available for a temporary period of time. However, I would suggest trying it with your patients and seeing, you know, you never know if there's going to be a family member who has an iPad they're not using, or if they have a laptop that you can use a, an AAC app on. I actually have had that scenario a few times. I think that we just have to think out of the box when funding is particularly difficult. There are even grants available, different people. I mean, go fund me. I mean, there's so many options for us. It doesn't have to be impossible, but it does require some foundational knowledge of what to try and when. Thank you. I love that, Casey. Thank you. All right. So what's next? So signs we can look for for somebody who might benefit from AAC devices may be that they have, first of all, something like aphasia, dementia, some kind of cognitive communication impairment, progressive disease like ALS. There's so many people on our medical caseloads that could benefit from augmentative alternative communication because their speech or language is not functional or always functional for them or not even conversational. So maybe they have one word utterances or they have a few phrases they can say, but just because they have verbal speech, like I said before, it doesn't always mean that AAC is not something we should be considering. So always considering how can I make this person's quality of life improve even from this standpoint, even if there is a little communication happening. And just to think of all the scenarios I've used AAC when I didn't even know that's what I was technically doing. So oftentimes we'll ask our patients, like let's say when I was in traumatic brain injury unit, we would ask, we would try to find out if somebody who was in a coma state or getting out of a coma was able to communicate and understand what was being spoken to them. So we would ask them to do things like wiggle your toes or blink your eyes or open your eyes and move your finger. Um, and this is AAC. So in a way, we're already doing AAC, but we're not always thinking very long term after our services are over or after swallowing therapy is over. And so I'm just really thinking that if we come in with the idea that the AAC might be a long-term solution for somebody and let's, let's see where this evolves because it's a dynamic assessment, it never just stays the same. I'm sure I, for everybody I work with, it's not something that, oh, we we're done. Now that he has like five buttons, we're done. Right, it's right. always expanding, expanding you know, looking at different environments, looking at different communication partners, customizing, adding new supports where maybe we didn't need them before. So it's a dynamic process. So I think that, you know, sometimes we move from no tech, which is like blink to like a low tech system or to a high tech system. And I'm not saying that we should go in that order. You can for sure jump to a high tech system, but considering all the things that you know, what's their progress going to look like? That was something that I think a lot of SLPs get hung up on is, you know, are they going to, so take somebody with TBI, for example, are they going to progress to the point where they don't need AAC anymore because verbal speech starts to become easier for them. 
So in that scenario, using low tech temporarily may be an ideal situation as opposed to, you know, going through a very rigorous funding process just to go on the other side and not have it be used because they have verbal speech. However, you know, I think if funding was easy, I would totally jump to the high tech anyways. <laughs> um, but I understand being an SLP is not always straightforward. It's not clear cut. You, it's, we don't have all the time in the world. We're juggling tons of patients at a time that you have to look at your priorities and determine, you know, when is the good, when is it, when is the best time for them to start a high-tech AAC trial? And there's so many components to that, including are they ready? Are they open to it? You can't just force something on somebody who's not open to it. The example that I gave about my older gentleman, he was, he'd been waiting 85 years. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a very, you know, it's a situation where a lot of our patients, this is a new challenge for them. They might, it might've been a, an acute thing that just happened, a car accident or a stroke. And the thought of an, a high-tech AAC device kind of spirals them into, you know, more of even a, a depression. So I think that it's very important that we look at the patient and their readiness and what, how they view it. And that is something I definitely recommend as an SLP that we're kind of like, a, we're almost providing counseling to them and giving them, you know, this might be something you use now and maybe you won't need it in the future, but I really want to try this with you or let's do some visual supports because you need to know their prognosis before you can actually fund an ASD device anyways and have it be approved by insurance. So there's a lot of things to take into consideration, but I do feel that starting somewhere, expanding, using it as needed and teaching the support, you know, the communication partners, how to use it is extremely advisable. Yeah. Let, let me back you up because you had mentioned dementia. And I think that's mm -hmm. something that would be totally surprising to a lot of people because, okay. you know, unfortunately, a lot of times people think there's nothing we can do for our patients with dementia. Yeah. And I think that we can provide a lot of supports for people with dementia or with cognitive communication impairment. So thinking of people who've have some extensive brain injury that are now, you know, having challenges with language. I think that providing visual supports for them and low-tech AAC supports and even sometimes high-tech AAC supports can be extremely beneficial. For example, we just have to, what I want to say is we have to change the way we are implementing therapy with them for that to be effective. So, they're not going to be independent or maybe not, maybe not independent with an AAC device, but that doesn't mean that AAC isn't right for them. So what we would do in those scenarios is really providing more supports like partner communication support strategies that can enable them to communicate more effectively. So an example of that could be limiting choices. So limiting a field of choices. So giving them two choices, you know, what would you like to drink today during therapy? Would you like this choice or this choice? Having a visual to support that communication and seeing if they are able to show you which one they prefer, whether that by looking at it, by pointing to it. I think that providing opportunities like that is extremely powerful for them. Also providing them information regarding their history. So if they have dementia, you know, having like, we're very used to creating memory books for people with dementia, but what if we provided also scripts that they could, that they could say, or if they pointed at something that would communicate that for them. So saying something like, I have five children, their names are, and then, you know, when they select that option, then that's saying that 
um, story for them and that memory for them. So it's a more interactive way to engage with somebody with memory impairment is to provide them a communication system. I think that if we looked at communication more and it's okay that we support them, that it's okay that they need help, that they don't have to be completely independent to use AAC, then we can really shift our mindset and see more, we can see more opportunities to help them. Awesome. All right. All right. So I think that functions of communications we can target during dysphagia therapy include, but are not limited to requesting them requesting what type of food or liquid they would like during the session discussing current events. So that's really fun. I mean, depending on how much you like to talk about current events with your patients. (laughs) A little heated right now, I think. But I would say like, you know, there could be current events that you could talk about and it is very usually motivating. And then having them being able to express any pain, discomfort or daily challenges. So maybe them expressing that they have a headache or giving them the opportunity to say, you know, this part of my body is in pain. Um, you know, by pointing to either like a communication support of a person where they can show you on the person in the picture where they're experiencing pain. And then there's also awesome rating scales on high tech devices and low tech devices we can be using for them to indicate how much pain they're in. So not just where pain is, but is it a 10 or is it a one? And most people are very familiar with those kinds of scales. And when I have an individual who's very resistant to communicating with me because they don't know me or I'm using a high tech device and they're a little bit intimidated, usually those scales is a great entryway because they're like, oh, I can communicate something right now about my present needs and they understand. And now I'm not so frustrated. So I really think tapping into what makes them frustrated is a great buy-in into using high-tech AAC if that's what you want to use with them, which I would encourage you to try. So just looking at what's your what's your uh, most bang for your buck in a really quick a quick win. Yeah, yeah. Are you um have you done MDTP Casey McNeil dysphagia therapy program? No. Okay. Because I I think when I think of like the perfect scenario, I think there's what I love about that program is there's so much patient choice in that. Okay. And that can just be so motivating, you know, as opposed to sometimes we're just like, eat this, drink this, you know, all we have are the graham crackers and the applesauce from the cart in the hospital, you know? And I'm like, so many times I brought an applesauce for a patient to do a fees and they're like, I hate applesauce. I'm like, just, just do, just for this one test. Like, <laughs> But in all all honesty, you know, we do want our patients to have choices. And especially if you're going to be doing ongoing therapy um, and trialing different foods and things like that, how wonderful would it be to have them actually have a say in, you know, what we're trialing and what could be motivating for them when sometimes we just don't know and we're guessing and, you know, not that we're trying to, we're, we're trying to help, but how much more could we maximize that opportunity, I think. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I'll never forget like walking into a room with apple juice and it's probably, you know, especially with the pandemic going on, there's so many, um, you know, you throw away everything that you bring into a room now. So I'm just thinking all the waste <laughs> that's going on because they're like, I don't like that flavor apple juice. I don't like, you know, and they're totally okay to have that preference. I have my preferences. It's like, give me coffee with like two creams and two sugars. Okay. Like that is my jam. So I understand when I give them a black cup of coffee and they like, four cranes in it that they're not going to drink it. So, but how would we know that? You know, usually what's happening in the communication breakdown is that they're looking really upset. They don't want to continue therapy with us. They're pointing at the door, like get out of here when really they might be saying like, 
this coffee is not the kind I like. So I think that if we provided them more visual supports, even just having our own set of visual supports that we can take from room to room. And the, the nice thing about the iPad and having a high tech system with you at all times is just that, well, it's easy to sanitize, which is so important right now. And I feel that it really just gives you so much flexibility to create inside of a free AAC app or inside of an AAC app that you got for free through your C's that now you can customize different pages for a particular patient or put in the menu items of your facility inside of an AAC app. So that way you just have a really quick visual, you know, and voice output support. The voice output is so nice with high tech AAC because then the person, especially if they have aphasia, because then they're going to hear it back. And that's so supportive of them then communicating verbally. And you can do both at the same time. You know, this episode is about dysphagia therapy and AAC, but you can totally do language, aphasia, and AAC as well. And swallowing all at the same time. We're very good at weaving in language and swallowing. So I think we can weave, and memory, I think we can weave in AAC and all these things as well. So yeah, just providing them those choices. And then you can even have them request where they would like to have therapy. Do you want to stay in your room? I know right now, again, with the pandemic, this looks a little bit different. But I would say, you know, do you want to go outside? Do you want to go on the porch? Do you want to, you know, not limiting them to the gym or the cafeteria or wherever you're doing therapy, maybe you're in their room, um, giving them options of where they'd like to go. Again, a quick win can go really far with buy-in with AAC. And um, also for them to request the assistance of staff. That's a huge I know we often teach people how to ring a button, like the call light, and we use that as like cognitive communication therapy and receptive language following directions. However, they use the call light and then the person comes in and if they can't tell them what they need, that that was not a very functional example of them actually being independent. So we need to teach them strategies, even if the person doesn't or refuses to use low tech and high tech AAC, which I have seen and I totally understand that there are those people <laughs> And there's actually science and research to tell us why that is actually, which when people have more of a cognitive impairment, they are less likely to use high-tech AAC. The research has shown this. So we know that if you know that going in, that it's not personal, it's not that it's a personal thing against you or the device, it's literally that this has just been a challenge for this population. So how can we be understanding of that and more accepting of that and also provide them with AAC, even if it's no tech or low tech like paper, so they can still communicate because they still need strategies. They just might not be willing to do every strategy we provide them. Yeah. Let, let me let me ask you, Casey, because I think, you know, we have so many SLPs that may have been working like in the same setting for so many years, you know, and I think just this whole technology boom is incredible for our patients, but we're kind of the, the bottleneck, I hate to say, because it's hard for us to keep up to date with all the new changes and all the technological advances. So what would you, you know, I guess, what advice would you give for an SLP that just is so green with, with this type of device, with an AAC, even low tech, you know, I think sometimes, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. There's so many resources. I'm trying to think really fast what I would recommend off the bat. I would say that for low tech AAC, looking into a program like lesson picks or board maker could be a really strong solution for every facility to have. I've actually been known to use, accounts from other jobs and just bring it into my skilled nursing job because the skilled nursing facility won't purchase these things, right? So oftentimes in skilled nursing facilities, what's happening is we get this like really lame board 
that is from like 1985 that everybody's making copies of that has like toilet, hairbrush, and they're really just using it for naming. They're not even using it for communication from my, from my observations, which I totally get it because it's not real functional. So I would say like designing, having an application to design materials custom for your patients is very powerful and it doesn't have to be very expensive. I think if we were to advocate for a lesson picks account or a board maker account that they should be open to this, especially if you show them it can apply outside of speech therapy. You could be making materials for PT, OT, nursing, cafeteria. You could be making menus for the whole facility. If we start to look at it from the broader perspective of just our field, then people are much more likely to work with you and work with us about how can we improve the quality of life for our um, residents. And this actually happened with me once I started, once I had that gentleman, which was the first AAC trial I did in that facility, um, everybody started to be referring me for AAC. <laughs> So I started getting, hey, Casey, go see so-and-so in this room. They really, I think that they need AAC. They started to realize that, oh, this is very helpful. So I think that the more we educate and the more we're using materials, the more support we're going to get from the facility that you're working in. I would also say for high tech, my resources are usually the reps from the high tech companies. So my top resources are, you know, your Toby Dynavox rep or your PRC Saltillo rep or your control bionics rep. There's so many companies that their job is to support you and they would love you if you just called them in for a quick lunch and learn or, I mean, that's their job. So don't be scared to reach out to them and bug them because you're not going to bug them because they've been wanting to get in your facility to show you what they have for many years, I'm sure. So I just think that um, that's what I've done in the past. And that's been very powerful for me with the, with the older gentleman I was describing earlier. I actually did use um, my local PRC rep to come in and help me with that assessment because he needed, because of his complex body, he just needed more um, alternative access. So things like we tried eye gaze, we tried head switches, we tried um, head tracking, head mouth tracking. So there's just so many things that we can try, but we need the reps and their equipment and their sometimes their guidance to help us make a, a choice that works for the patient. So I'd never be scared to ask for help. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I, I remember the one sniff I worked in, it was maybe I don't know, seven, eight years ago. The Dynavox rep that we had was incredible. Like she was just such a wealth of knowledge and she taught me so much and she did so much of the like administrative work for the funding of the device. And, and I just, I was so impressed with her, you know, just, we worked together so well and just such a good partnership for the patient. Yeah. They are AAC specialists. So they should know <laughs> if you have a good right. one, they should know what they're doing and they've, this is their lot, like this is their job. So again, it's such a nice resource to have and don't feel like, you know, you have to only speak with one rep or, you know what I mean? You can speak with multiple and every patient's going to have different needs and you're going to find out which rep, you know, you go to for what. So I think that having those connections is so powerful. It's just networking, you know, your professional network. And another thing you can do for resources is, you know, there's courses online. There's so many trainings that you can go to that are really helpful. I know that Toby, APRC, Saltillo all offer trainings virtually right now. So if you really want to dig into AAC and learn more, I offer trainings. I mean, they offer trainings. I think that finding a mentor is very powerful. 
and you can find a mentor anywhere. Um, you know, grad school, talk to your grad school professor. If you really clicked with them and they were very knowledgeable in AAC, you can always reach out. You can reach out just to other um, people in our MetaSLP collective, right? So I think that finding mentors, finding people who can help guide you, even if they don't have all the answers and they're not physically with you, they can still give you some things to think about and steps to take. Awesome. Thank you, Casey. Mm. Other things I wanted to talk about yep. are my favorite strategies. So I love um, when I work with people with dysphagia to make sure that the patient's favorite food items and drink items are inside the AAC system. I know we talked about this earlier, but again, it's a very powerful choice to have them be able to choose the food and drinks that they would like. Um, I also love to provide opportunities for them to share their thoughts, preferences, and needs. So sometimes a preference could be what channel do they want on the TV? What activity would they like to go to that day? Do they want to go to bingo? Do they want to go to um, the gym to say hi to their favorite therapist? I mean, there are things that I'm like, I never would have guessed that that's really what you wanted to do. And I love hearing that that's their preferences and learning more about who they are. And then you can also add a picture or photo again, to make the device more custom. And also, again, having that pain scale inside of that device, having um, an ability for them to communicate any where pain is in their body. Those are, again, quick wins you can get for your patients. Also to have opportunities to for them to show affection and engage, engage in conversations with family members and visitors. I know again, with the pandemic, we might not be having as many visitors as normal, but even with over a Zoom or over a phone call, we can, facilitate, we can help facilitate for them a communication opportunity or with a spouse to have them say, you know, I love you or I missed you. Or, I mean, those are usually, again, the top things people want to express when they're using AAC, when they have maybe needed it for a long time or usually affection or just conversation with family. These are very powerful things to think about when doing swallowing therapy and at the same time, AAC therapy. Because again, I think we often talk with our patients who are undergoing swallowing therapy all the time, but we don't think of it as, you know, maybe language therapy, but it is. And it's the same thing with AAC. When you're sitting there in a room with somebody, it's really awkward not to have any communication going on. So I say, you know, get some AAC in there. So that way you get to know them and just make it a conversation. It's not about testing. If there's anything about this episode I, pe I hope people get is that this is very different from analyzing somebody's comprehension or analyzing somebody's level of understanding. That is not what AAC is really about. It is really about opening the gates of communication and, and having a personal connection with somebody and helping them access that communication. So whatever they have right now and whatever their interests are right now, capitalize on that and use that as a strength and then grow from there. It's not about testing, you know, do they understand this yes, no question with a yes, no answer on this board. I mean, that just bothers me because we're not really looking at, that's not why I want to use AAC with them because that's not effective functional communication all the time. They need to do more than that. And honestly, that's not motivating. So, you know, I think we know as medical SLPs that motivation is so important when we're working with our patients, that buy-in is so important. So how can you facilitate that in a, in a way that is good for the patient and that they're willing to participate in? Yep. Awesome. I love it, Casey. Yeah. All right. And again, I just wanted to say AAC can be used in conjunction with verbal speech. So you don't have to pick one or the other. And this can help with the buy-in with the patient and the family, especially if you, if you phrase it like that. Um, another way to get buy-in from the, the patient and the family is to look at AAC as a support 
not as a last resort. So not looking at AAC as, oh, we tried everything else, aphasia therapy, language therapy, speech therapy, oral motor therapy, you know, we tried everything, it's not working. Okay, now we use AAC. Yeah. But the truth is we should have been using AAC right in the beginning because then it's not a last resort. It is a, it is maybe a compensatory strategy or a augmentative strategy, sometimes an alternative strategy, alternatives of speech, and then we have the buy-in. And then that's where the family really can start to see other options like high-tech devices and be more open-minded to them and purchasing them, especially if they have to pay out of pocket, you really need that buy-in. So I really think that those are things that we can be considering. And just to look at communication holistically, to look at them as a whole person and not just look at it as a deficit that they can't communicate, but to, and just leave it at that to say, okay, how can I make this just a little bit better? And then the next day, a little bit better from that. All right. Beautiful. Okay. So let's talk about, you mentioned a restorative program. I love restorative programs. Yes. So I've actually done this in the facility I peer right now. Yeah. I have set up a restorative program for the patient. It was a very unique and loving story. Actually, I, uh, the restorative people in this scenario with the older gentleman, they really, really loved him. He was like such a people person, even though he had very little speech, he had this smile, he had this demeanor. They just, he was like a favorite resident, right? And so that was easy for me to be like, okay, you're going to work with so-and-so for 12 weeks. So like, oh, that's so exciting. We've worked with him on swallowing many times, but never with AAC. And I said, okay, so what we're going to do is I create, you know, I created a little handout for them that went over all the basics, the IT things, because I'm not there every day, like a full-time SLP. So I had to think, okay, what would I want to know if I were the restorative aid in this scenario? And I, what I would want to know is, you know, how to operate the device, where it's going to be kept, how to program it, how to add words, how to delete words, the password, that was always a thing. I'd get texts like at nine o'clock at night, what's the password? Or maybe not nine, maybe nine in the morning. What's the password to this device? And I'm like, oh, it's on the sticky note on the thing. And I'm, but you know, so it still happens where they don't always know, but it's good, at least they have my contact information. But I think that training them on the device and what was so interesting was the person I worked with, she was very interested. She actually had a child who, used AAC a little bit. And so it was, uh, it was actually a, an adult child living at home with her. And so it was just so cool to see her, her start to realize, Oh, this is, this is available. Like this might actually help some people I know. <laughs> so you start to see like the gears turning and just how you open their world to AAC and how awesome it can be. Um, and then that restorative program really helped that patient communicate when I wasn't there, after therapy had ended. Again, I'm always like checking in on him, but I think that always having a support staff aware of how to use the device is gonna be so important. With low tech, mid tech, high tech, no tech, you need to train, train, train. So it's definitely possible and having a restorative program can be so helpful with that. Awesome, I love it. All right, anything else you wanna cover, Casey? One thing I did want to cover was an article that I had read recently. Um, you would think I would read this earlier, but it's not, it, it's, it was in the ASHA wire and I found it um, and it's called AAC and severe aphasia enhancing communication across the continuum of recovery by Catherine L. Garrett and Joanne P. Lasker. And what I liked about it was just looking at, the different needs of people with aphasia, which is so often the population we serve who need AAC, I would say that it was, 
eye-opening that they talked about partner communication, how we can facilitate effective communication with somebody with dementia and had has had a had a stroke. And so looking at, you know, it doesn't have they don't have to be independent. They can have support and you can still be effectively providing AAC therapy. And that doesn't make it a failure. I think so often we think, oh, they can't use it independently. I failed. They don't know this device all by themselves. They can't communicate like they can't say exactly what they need all the time by themselves when the nurse asks them what's wrong and therefore I failed. That's not true. What we failed maybe to notice is that they just needed that support and in place and they need a different scanning. You know, maybe you give them a few options. You provide different questions, closed choice questions versus open-ended questions, but always throwing in some open-ended questions just to see, but not to measure your success or failure based on their ability to be totally independent. I think that that's really what was eye-opening to me because I had this idea in my head that I think as a pediatric clinician, we tend to think that we're moving, always moving toward that point. But with some adults with progressive diseases, we're actually not going to get to that point. And that's okay. That's okay to provide them um, supports where they're at and just continuing to layer on supports. That's such a good point. I love that so much. Thank you. Yeah. Any final thoughts? I hope that you know, this information is really helpful for people listening that they're starting to see like, oh, I can do AAC and it's okay. And it doesn't have to be intimidating and hard. And there's not necessarily a wrong way to go about it as long as we're staying open-minded and trying things in, in the best interest of the patient, right? I think that, you know, as medical SLPs, we're so knowledgeable and working so hard. And especially in these times, we're being challenged, but we can still provide change people's lives, especially, you know, people who are intubated due to COVID. So I think that always looking at how can I provide some more communication supports is just something we can, yeah, we can definitely do. I know we can as a profession. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much, my friend. This was wonderful. Thank you. It was so much fun. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at teresarichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.